Welcome to the Future Is Podcast, where we meet the people shaping what's next in technology, business, and beyond. I'm your host, Bill Kirkus, Chief Marketing Officer at Honeywell. So technology is obviously transforming the way we work, connect, and live. But as we rely more on digitization, cybersecurity threats are on the rise, and one of our most common sources, believe it or not, are those USB ports on our laptops. According to Honeywell's latest industrial cybersecurity USB threat report, which uses cybersecurity data from hundreds of industrial facilities globally all over the course of a year of collection of data, 52% of the threats were specifically designed to attack our USB ports, those removable devices, and that's up from just 32% in 2021. Here to tell us more about how cyber threats are getting more potent and what business can do about it is Eric Knapp. Eric is our research and development director focused on operational technology, also known as OT, cybersecurity, for our Honeywell Connected Enterprise business. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So let's start with the easy one. You know, what exactly do you do with Honeywell? There are a couple acronyms in there, USB, OT, NAP. Uh, (laughs) What inspired you to get into this career path and, and exactly what do you do for us at Honeywell? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm the Director of Cybersecurity Research for Honeywell Connected Cyber. And in that role, I, I do a couple, of, uh, a couple of things. One is cybersecurity research, threat research. So cybersecurity is a ever-moving target. The threat actors out there who we need to protect against are always improving. Um, so we also need to always improve. And that means being connected into uh, into the industry, performing research to find the the latest threats and and then taking that knowledge and applying it to our products and solutions. I've been doing industrial control system security, right? In, industrial control system security being the long way of saying OT. <laughs> I've been doing industrial control system security for a very long time. It would probably be too long of a story to tell here. Let's just say I, you know, I feel very strongly about protection of our critical infrastructures because when I was much younger than I am now, I was shown um, exactly how easy it is to hack an industrial control system. And I wasn't very comfortable with that. Since that day, which is almost 20 years ago now, I basically dedicated my career to helping protect our critical infrastructure. To that end, I joined Honeywell about eight years ago now to help grow the cyber business um, by innovating new technologies and helping increase internal awareness around the need for OT cyber. I think that's super cool that you kind of had an experience years ago, right? That kind of shaped what you're doing now in your career. Um, not everyone has that luxury to do that. So that's a, that's a really cool point you just made. So I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by our uh, industrial cybersecurity USB threat report in a couple of ways. One is I would have never guessed that 52% of the threats were related to USB. I mean, that USB has been just a common port and connection in our lives, the digital connection in our lives for such a long time. So walk me through the report. I believe it's in its third or fourth year. And, and what are some of the other trends that are standing out to you? So first, this report looks at a very specific set of data. Right, we're looking at malware that was detected and blocked um, on USB drives, and specifically malware that was detected and blocked on USB drives that are being carried into industrial or OT facilities. So, you know, we have a very narrow lens of what we're looking at, which is um, from a research standpoint, that's fantastic, right? We we have very few variables. We know exactly what we're looking at. There's a lot of different um, vectors that 
a hacker or a, an attacker could use. We have a focused lens to look specifically at what's coming in on USB. And when we typically, when we talk about USB security, we think about malware, right? And, and this report is mostly about malware because it's about things we found on USB drives. But there's other threats as well. I can get into that in a moment. The trends we really found, I mean, this year, you know, we, we saw pretty much the same data we did last year. There's slight differences year over year from 2021. When we first started tracking this data, we saw a rapid year over year increase in the quantity and the severity of threats. We saw an increase in the amount of malware that had qualities indicating that it was designed to spread and infect via USB, right? That's where that 52% number comes from. We also saw an increase in malware that was designed to establish remote access and in malware that was capable of causing an actual disruption to operations in an industrial control environment. The takeaway from that is there's some good news and the bad news, right? The, The good news is that the growth seems to have slowed. Like We sort of hit a plateau in the last year. The bad news is, is that plateau is very high. When we first started looking at this, um, you know, it was it was a different world. It was pre-pandemic. People worked differently. The threat actors who were active were were motivated differently. I think the world has just changed in about every way you could imagine. We originally saw lots of what, what I call junk malware. This refers to you know the the typical viruses that you know somebody who is mishandling a USB drive, putting personal files on, not not the best cybersecurity practices, malware that just found its way onto a thumb drive because um, because of, of sloppy use or, or poor data, poor cybersecurity hygiene. That has changed a lot, right? So now we're seeing 81% of the threats we found, of the malware samples we found coming in on USB drives were not this junk malware. They were high impact, targeted, in many cases, malicious code that is capable of disrupting you know, an industrial operations center. And that's pretty significant. Yeah. So let me focus a little bit on that 81%. So do you have examples of, of attacks? What are your thoughts on that? And then the consequences of that for a business? What types, you know, what specific high impact threats have we seen? Um, we've seen, if you've read the news in the past year and you've seen stories on cybersecurity and you've heard about industrial attacks and you've heard about dark energy, you've heard about Havocs or Stuxnet um, or uh, the the Triton attack against safety systems. There's a lot of sort of celebrity industrial malware out there and we've seen it all. Um, I certainly cannot get into specifics about, uh, about that for reasons of confidentiality and actually because we anonymize the data that we collect to the point where we actually, um, we don't know where it came from. We can't, like, we can't walk that back. Yeah, definitely like high impact malware. There was also um, a lot of highly capable families of malware that are in the wild that are just dangerous um, by what they are. You know, there, there were leaked nation state level malwares that were introduced to to the wild years ago. Um, it was three or four years ago now. Um, those are still out there. They're very active. Ransomware. I think everybody's familiar with ransomware. That has gotten much more prevalent and much more destructive. So we're seeing all of that, you know, evolution of the threat just sort of coming together, and it means that malware is just more dangerous than it used to be. It's just fascinating to me that this tiny little thumb drive, right, or USB drive can cause these problems. What do you recommend at a high level to kind of minimize that risk? 
You know, often what I say when, when asked questions like this is the number one thing you can do to improve cybersecurity of anything is to become educated and increase awareness around it. And that's definitely true of, um, of USB as well. You know, we're talking again about malware that comes on a, you know, USB hard drive, but there are a ton of other USB threats out there as well. The USB standard, USB stands for universal serial bus. And that you, that universal part of it is, is aptly labeled because you can connect almost anything into a USB port. Speakers, microphones, you know, we're recording this podcast. We probably have USB connected mics and we probably have USB connected headphones. I know I do, but there's also um, network interfaces. There are, you know, barcode scanners, there's diagnostic tools, there's serial interfaces, you name it, almost every kind of device that is on the market today can be connected over USB. And the the standard itself isn't terribly secure. So we've seen um, also, you know, in the past few years, an increase in the in the availability and complexity or sophistication of, of what I call USB attack platforms, which are USB devices that are weaponized so that they can be used as an attack probably the most infamous of them is called the USB rubber ducky. Um, don't let this silly name fool you. Um, it's a penetration testing <laughs> device that it looks like a thumb drive. Um, when you plug it into your computer, it actually acts like a keyboard and it will do what we call a keystroke injection or human interface device attacks, hit attacks. And if you think about that, um, if you're logged into your computer and you're typing, right, you're computer will do whatever you tell it to do. Computers trust humans. So if your computer is typing, but you're not the one who's actually typing, your computer is going to trust that as if it were you typing. So if you have administrator access and your keyboard is acting on its own, it could do anything that you would be able to do. Funny story, my first job at Intel in the 90s, I'm now aging myself, was um, to put together the USB serial bus and get it out into the market. And so I totally, you're right. The whole goal was universal. That was a, a really good point. The rubber ducky thing, I guess we're not going to think about Sesame Street anymore on that one. It's become a, <laughs> quite, a, quite a threat, right? Yeah. And, and, and that tool in particular has been around for a long time. I think it was introduced in 2010 or, or somewhere around there. It was just updated. Um, there's a, um, there's a big cybersecurity conference every year and, in coordination with that, the makers of that tool upgraded it. It's more sophisticated. It has USB-C, um, and they've updated the scripting language as well to make it even more powerful. So these tools, mm. like again, the, the threat evolves, and so we have to stay on top of it. I wanted to just kind of interject there a little bit. Like, so obviously we have a whole business focused on cybersecurity software. Tell me a little bit about, bring this home kind of from the Honeywell aspect. What are we doing to help design solutions to solve or minimize these these problems? That's a great question. So what are we doing to help solve these problems? The number one thing we're doing is we're, we, we have a cybersecurity team, right? So Honeywell Connected Cybersecurity is a team. We have hundreds of people um, all around the world. Part of that is is helping our customers, and probably actually the, one of the larger parts of that is helping our customers understand what they need. Every customer is different, every environment is different. And there's this concept of cybersecurity maturity, right? Where where are you? How grown up are you in your quest to, to become cyber secure? 
it's a never ending road, right? So you're on a journey, you have to continuously improve to keep up with the bad guys who are continuously improving, but you have to start somewhere. When it comes to implementing those improvements, that's where technology often comes into play. So there might be um, instances where, um, you know, a customer who's very early in their journey, they might not even have, you know, network segmentation. They may not have a firewall. Everything could be connected to the internet. Every system is logged in as administrator and every password is password with a lowercase p. <laughs> so there aren't many of those uh, customers out there anymore, I don't think, but, um, but you never know, right? So in those cases, implement the basics. In some cases where customers are more secure, they might need more help. But that's sort of where my team comes in, right? So we're responsible for keeping our finger on the pulse of where the threat actually is. Blocking malware on its own isn't as important as blocking the right malware. If you were to look at um, antivirus, I think everybody's familiar with you know computer antivirus. It's that software that runs on our computer when we want it to the least. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and slows everything down while it scans our files. <laughs> the amount of malware in the world, like the total number of unique malware variants is so huge that there is no desktop antivirus solution that could possibly look for at all. Um, you're looking more at probably a signature set that would protect you against maybe a few percent of the total variants out there. To make those tools effective, the companies that create them, they, they're they creating a protection profile against what's most likely to happen. It's a combination of the, of the malware that might be the most dangerous and the most common so that they can offer that protection. And there's tricks to expand beyond that and find zero days and things as well. But for, for the most part, isolated desktop antivirus isn't good enough anymore. And I think uh, the AV vendors would agree with me on that. The way that that's improved is by connecting those systems to the cloud where the infinite resources of the cloud can can expand that, right? Now we can have a knowledge base of all of the billions of um, unique malware variants and, and bring that intelligence back to you. That brings the effectiveness of, of what AV can really do to a desktop. In OT, there is an added challenge there because these systems are not supposed to be connected to the internet, right? So how do we protect against a threat when the threat can reach you, but you can't necessarily reach the resources you need to help protect you? So we do a lot of work to finding, you know, the threat actors that are out there, what new types of malware are being created, how can we help our customers protect against that? Um, the USB security piece came as a direct result of that research. We saw this as a huge need for our customers, and so we built technology to protect against that, both in uh, a product called Secure Media Exchange, which allows you to scan and secure drives as they're being carried inbound into OT, um, and also client software that pairs with that that protects you against things like USB rubber duckies and these uh, and these USB hardware attacks. Um, you never know, right? That's uh, that's the fun part of this industry is it changes overnight almost every day. You know, we, we talk about the, the Honeywell kind of differentiator of an industrial-grade software. And um, I'm, I'm fascinated by GARD, right, the Honeywell Global Anal- Analysis Research and Defense Threat Detection Service. Can you talk a little bit about that or, or just in general what industrial software does to help um, our customers in this area? 
Sure. So, so guard, um, G A R D, as right. you said, um, global analysis, research, and defense is uh, is two things. So, one, it's a team of people that I, I run that group, um, and two, it is an engine that is designed to help detect malware. You know, I mentioned that that connectivity is necessary but difficult. Um, and so Guard is the answer to that for our industrial customers. It's a secure way for for us to leverage the power of the cloud to better detect malware um, without violating the rules of uh, air gaps and security that are required for industrial facilities. And Guard does a couple of things. One, it does um, it leverages threat intelligence um, and uh, what's called file reputation. If we have seen a file before and we know it's bad, we can check that very simply just by um, you know, taking a, a fingerprint of the file, not the file itself, and, and asking Guard, have you seen this before? And, and the answer is either yes or no. And if we've seen it before, we know if it's good or bad. That's one part of it, but there's more to that as well. We also connect into what's called a software build materials. So we can validate if, uh, you know, if a file is what it's intended to be, if it's a patch or an update or a software installer, you know, from a vendor that you're bringing into your facility to install, we can validate that it is what it's supposed to be in that it's, um, and that it is not at risk itself. Um, and finally, the, the direct research that we provide is, uh, we, we call this early threat detection, where we look for the new threats that, that are out there and we train the system to recognize them so that we can protect you against them. We, we don't say zero day, right? A zero day is something that, you know, it's never been released in the wild before you've sort of seen it for the first time. We, we do find some of those. We, we call it early day. It's a little bit more generic. We do tend to be some of the uh, some of the larger cybersecurity companies and how quickly we identify these threats and, and train them. And that's something we're proud of. Eric, I could ask you hours of questions here. Um, it's such an interesting topic. But let's so we you know, today's topic is about outsmarting cyber threats. Right. You talked a little bit about Guard and Honeywell Forge and and how we're helping to do that. The, the title of this, this podcast is The Future Is, and, and we ask every guest this question, and you sort of answered it already, but maybe we'll take you back when you were 5 or 10 or 15 years old. When you were younger, much younger, I guess, you know, what did you want to be when you grow up? I'm not sure if I ever did want to grow up, and I'm not sure if I ever did. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's a great, great um, answer, yeah. Well, you know, when I was 5, I probably wanted to be Optimus Prime, but, um, <laughs> but now I would say that... Um, you know, as I as I am getting older, as we all do, unfortunately, you know, I, do I want to grow up? No, I actually want to reclaim a little bit of my youth. I think, from a career standpoint, I've been pretty laser focused on on this for a while. As I mentioned, early early in my career, I had this experience, and it and it shocked me. And it was a it was a niche back then. People didn't have careers in OT cybersecurity. In fact, um, you know, I tell this story a lot. I've uh, people have probably already heard it, but the first time I presented the topic of OT cybersecurity to a live audience, I was actually laughed at and told I should find a new career because, quote, wow. nobody will ever invest in securing industrial control systems. Wow. The world has changed a lot since then. So I was at the very beginning of this industry and I've seen it grow. I've seen it do good things. I've seen it do bad things. But uh, it's part of me. I don't know if I'll ever be able to escape it. 
You know, there's a there's a saying, fight the good fight. I can't think of another group or really Honeywell Forge product line that is more focused on that for, for Honeywell and our customers. So, Eric, fascinating discussion. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. You know, if I can add one thing to that last question, I often say this when I speak publicly that, you know, I have been doing this for a long time and, and I don't see myself stopping, but I really want the next generation to um, to sort of usurp me. I'm looking forward to the day where I don't have to get up in front of a, an audience or behind a podium and, and preach this anymore. I really want somebody to take the mantle. So there's a lot of young people out there. The jobs market is is an interesting place right now. I encourage anyone who wants to get into cybersecurity. The industry needs you and the threat is never going to go away. It's going to outlive me. Anything we can do to encourage the next generation to to enter this field and contribute and help us all succeed, I encourage 100%. Thank you. And again, you know, we call ourselves future shapers here. This is an exact definition and to all those listeners out there, the moment that Eric had right early in his career, formed his career and has shaped it and continues to this day. So it's quite a story. Again, Eric, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Future Is. For more stories on the people and innovations shaping what's next in business and life, subscribe to The Future Is and leave us a review where you listen to your podcasts. 